You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. When you, read, when you read the disciples, it's interesting because uh, they just talk in a different kind of way. I mean, they're greatly used of God. They feed thousands of people. People are being healed. Lives are being changed. They're impacting world, culture, philosophy, everything. But when you look at their lives, they don't really talk too much about success. They don't talk about kind of where they want to be or in the next few I mean, they, they really don't talk much about it. Their only goal, really, was to one day, to be as said, they fought a good fight, they finished the course, and they had kept the faith. I mean, they all had one great goal, and that was just to just keep showing up, doing God's will, and one day to be found faithful. Isn't that a vision that every one of us can accomplish in our lives? Um, dreams are elusive, right? There's things that sometimes you can plan out that just go in a different direction. And I talk to many pastors, and they say, you know, Pastor, I used to look back in the crowd, and uh, people would be gone in church. And, and during COVID, I look back, and a lot of people are gone in church. I say, don't look back. Don't look back. They say, what's the secret of ministry? Pastors always ask me. I say, secret of ministry is, is keep a good spirit, number one. And number two, don't look back to the fourth song because eventually the church members will come in. Amen. But, uh, but you just got to keep looking forward, right? Keep looking forward. And um, in our lives, you know, we go through struggles and battles. And sometimes we, we minimize like the ordinary days. Like, oh, man, that's just a day. I'm just kind of on the grind doing my thing. But the truth is you need to survive the ordinary days. Because everything that you do is connecting you to something else. When I was 20 years of age, I was asked to come to L.A. to pastor a church in downtown L.A., right where Sunset Boulevard begins, um, right by Dodger Stadium, a lot of need in our community. I started pastoring at 20 only because my dad, Tommy Barnett, couldn't find a pastor. He got a little building in the inner city, and that church wanted him to take this building because they didn't want to sell it to the banks, the denomination. So they said, would you please, Tommy Barnett, would you save this church? He said, yes. Yeah, he goes, I don't want to go to the banks. Yes. He didn't have a plan. He just said yes because he thought, well, anything is better than selling to the banks, right? And so he was trying to find a pastor, and he couldn't find one, and he was driving them around the neighborhood. He's like, hey, this church is on Sunset Boulevard, man. Pastor's like, really? They thought it was really cool, you know? But they didn't realize, you know, sunset starts in a pretty rough neighborhood, right? And uh, they were driving around the community. And they looked at the building, and every single one of them said, Pastor, I don't feel led of the Holy Spirit to come and pastor the church. All ten of them said they don't want to come. And finally, my dad asked me to come and pastor the church. He said, Son, I can't find a real pastor. Would you come and help me for three months? I go, three months? He said, that's it, three months. I promise you, three months, you'll be done. I'll give you 10 of my greatest hit sermons. You just kind of memorize them. You can read them if you want. Just, just these are survival sermons. You know what I mean? Uh, can you preach them? I said, sure, I can do that. Dad, I love you. I'll do it. And, uh, you know, so I was all ready to go. And, and I got there. I preached my sermon. And people were kind of walking out of the building. And the church went from 18 down to 2 in the first six months. Like, like my dad's church went from like 200 to 10,000 like a week. We went from 18 down to 2. We were having a revival in reverse, you know. And uh, we were really struggling. And, and I was looking out. I remember one night, 20-year-old kid, mega church pastor, you know, thousands of members, just activity all the time. I was thinking about Arizona, what was going on Sunday night then in their big meeting while I was trying to get anybody to come to church. I was looking out my little window in the neighborhood. And one car pulled up in my parking lot, and I was so excited. I'm like, man, we got one cars that showed up. We're going to have church because all we need, you know, two or three are gathered together in my name, right? And, uh, and so they parked the car, and they were walking up to church. I'm like, yes, we got somebody. And they walked right past our building, and they went to the liquor store right next door. 
So I just went right with them. Anyways, no, I'm just teasing. But um, you know what I love about this church? That you laugh at that. I said that in Oklahoma City. They're like, that's not funny, Pastor. But you actually laugh like that. You guys are G's just like we are, you know. But anyways, but. And so, man, I went. And so I went home. I was so discouraged. One night, nobody showed up. And I cried for several hours. And the Lord spoke to me in the middle of my tears. He said, he said, I want you to stop your crying. I want you to get up. And I want you to go to Echo Park. Now, for God to tell you to go to Echo Park back then in 1994, in the middle of all the gang wars, I mean, it was pretty hardcore. I mean, I thought God was mad at me for being a big old complainer and was just going to finish me off in a drive-by shooting and get somebody there who really could do the job, you know. And, and I prayer walked all over the city. I went to Skid Row. I went to the neighborhoods. I saw young men up against police cars that were being arrested. I saw helicopters, homeless people in the park everywhere. And that night, after seven hours of walking in the park, God spoke a word to me. He said, I want you tonight to die to your dream of being a success. Now, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with having dreams of success. But he said, in your case, I want you to die to the dream of being a success, and I want you to live to the dream of being a blessing. I said, what do you mean, God? He said, whatever I put in your hand, I just want you to use it to help people. I said, God, I have nothing left. I have no staff. I'm, I'm the only person. He said, whatever you have, I want you to use it to help people. You have a desk and you have a phone. I want you to move it on the sidewalk and operate your headquarters of ministry on the sidewalk with a desk and a phone. So I'd be out there every day, and all the mamas in the neighborhood would be walking by, and uh, I bought four, like, bags of uh, food, and I had little snacks on there, and uh, they'd walk by, I'd be getting them food, and I had a little soccer ball with the kids, and I had a big old jar of candy, and they would, they would walk by and say, hola, huero, como estas? I mean, like, <laughs> which means whitey in Spanish, and then... And, but I would just, kept, you know, I just kept trying to upgrade what I was doing. I had, I had a desk, I had a phone, and you know, and I had, I had a little bit of space to put stuff. And then they'd come by, and I'd get a little bit better stuff. They'd be like, "Hola, abuelito," in Spanish, a little whitey in Spanish, you know. And I'd be out there, and uh, they'd call the church, and I'd answer the phone. I'd say, "Hello, LA Dream Center, may I help you?" They say, "Yeah, do you guys uh, have a men's ministry in your church?" I say, "Yes, I think we do." I'm in. They said, "Do you have a women's ministry in your church?" I said, "Hold on." Put on hold, came back, changed my voice, and made it sound like I was a woman. Amen. Sometimes, sometimes you got to act like you're there even though you're not there yet, right? It was just my vision was ahead of things, right? But, uh, and man, just use whatever we had. We had a little dirt lot. We start turning into a weight pile. I bought Kmart weights, and the guys were lifting weights out there. Back then, I was like 125 pounds, and, and I was so skinny then that when I stuck out my tongue, I looked like a zipper, you know, and, and everybody thought I was a kid from home alone because I was 20, and I looked like 12, man. And um, so I'd just be out there just trying to do the best I could, serving, you know, and using whatever I had. And then God spoke to me something that really changed my life. He said, you got a little house next to the church. I want you to start a rehab program. I said, God, I don't know how to do a rehab program. I've, I've never had, like, an addiction like this. And I can't relate, God. You know, you want your people to know how to relate, right? God's like, nope. He goes, I don't want you to be relevant. I want you to be revolutionary. I want you to take in. And so I took in uh, two guys that were uh, homeless and trying to get their lives together, and they lived with me, and they had drug problems, and they said, uh, Pastor, uh, what's the rehab program? I said, I have no clue. I mean, just go to church with me and read the Bible in the morning, and well, Bible study, we'll do the best we can, right? Sometimes you, the perfect plan can get in the way of getting started, right? But getting started is an act of faith, and that's where the miracle happens. And, and then we got another house. Before long, we had 700 people. We went from 18 down to 2, and then that building that held 500, we went beyond that to 700 people, not even thinking about the word success. God just said, I want you to be a city janitor, walk through the streets of L.A., pick up broken pieces, and tell people they can dream again. And I realized that, that I could do that. 
I could use that was in my hand. I could be faithful. I could have endurance. I can stay in the neighborhood. I could just keep doing it. And I didn't go home for two years because I didn't want to get attached to my former place. I, I stayed for Thanksgiving. And I pioneered chicken. $3.99 greasy chicken place on Thanksgiving Day with a homeless guy because I knew if I go back home that I'd get homesick and I'd want to stay. So I just didn't go home for two years or nothing. I said, God, I'm not leaving the city until I love this city. And it's 28 years. No, I'm still trying to love it. No, I'm just teasing. I love it. But <laughs> And then when we outgrew that area, one day I'm driving down the Hollywood freeway. I look to my right and I see this big old hospital. And, um, and it's just sitting on the Hollywood freeway and I... I pull over to the side, and I see a, uh, Brad Pitt and George Clooney were filming a movie right there on site. Literally, Hollywood was taking over that building and filming all these movies there. So I pull over to the side. I walk right, right up to Brad Pitt. And I talk to Brad Pitt because I'm not intimidated by actors. I'm slightly intimidated by Pastor Troy. I'm very intimidated by Pastor Steve. Some other than I'm and I walked up to Brad Pitt. I said, Brad Pitt, man, how you doing? He's looking at me like, who's, who, who are you? Like, who's this guy walking up to me, just boldly talking to me? And back then, TBN gave us a show that was on every Friday night. And uh, so we were on TBN. And um, it was a crazy show. It was called Dream Center Documentary. We'd just go out there basically and film every day what the outreach was. And they gave us free equipment. We didn't know what we were doing. We just had some dude just like with a camera. I don't know how that show stayed on TBN. I still to this day, you know, we're like talking to people in the middle of the night in the streets. And we had to blur out their clothes, you know, because it was like too racy in the middle of the night. And I'm like, how is this on, like right before all these preachers, you know. But, uh, but somehow God allowed us to stay on there. But I walked out of Brad Pitt and I told him, you know, and uh, yeah, I loved his movies. And he stopped. He said, wait a second, I know who you are. He goes, are you that guy that's on that Christian network doing that crazy outreach on Friday night? He goes, you're Matthew Barnett, aren't you? No, he didn't say that. I'm just messing with you. No, he just, he just kicked me to the curb, and I just walked on by. And I walked in into, the, um, into the hospital, into the hospital that was the, and then the Catholic church who owned it. I said, I was 23 years of age. I said, I'm interested in buying the building. And they said, you have $16 million? That's what Paramount's going to pay for. I said, no, but I have a dream. They weren't impressed. They kicked me out of the building. It wouldn't even allow me to get a, a tour of the building anyways. And so I just walked out. I was frustrated. I said, God, I really want to see this building. And I was kind of like halfway praying a little bit. You know, God, I really want to see this building. And then as I was doing that, God gave me an open door. And it's a literal open door because the security guard wasn't looking. And he wasn't looking. I stuck in the building and gave myself a tour because when God gives you a dream, sometimes you got to go gangster for Jesus, right? I'm walking, I'm walking through that. And that's why I love this church. You clapped during that comment. Amen. But, I, but I'm walking around that building, and one eye on Jesus, one eye on the security guard, you know. I'm just walking around. And uh, then I get through all the floors. And now, I mean, you guys, your heart is, is completely in everything that we do. You have sown unbelievable amounts. Every month your church has done given so much to help us. And your story is in this story. And I got to the rooftop. I looked over the city of LA and God spoke to me and he said, the pimps are working 24 hours a day. The adult film industry preying on runaway kids, they're working 24 hours a day. If they can work 24 hours a day, I want to give you this building. I want you to keep it open every day, 24-7, for the sake of helping every hurting person in the city. I want to give you this building right here in the middle of the city. So we walked into the Catholic church who owned the building. We said, we want to buy the building. How much is it? Oh, $16 million. And my dad and I, we, like, have you ever showed up to a situation and said, God, I only have 1% of faith? 
Like, you just had, like, a little bit, and God's like, good enough, I'll take it, you know. And uh, I know you want full faith, right? But he's like, you're here. And, uh, and they said, make us an offer. And, and we, didn't, we didn't come prepared like that. We just, 3.9 million. Like, ooh, that's low. They came back, and then they're like, can you go higher? I said, no, that's really all we can do. And can you go, like, meet us in the middle? I said, no, that's really all we can do. And they said, okay, well, we'll sell it to you because we don't want Hollywood to have the hospital. We want somebody good to have it. And they gave us the building for $3.9 million. And I'm walking through that building. They're filming, like, they got Mike Myers from Halloween, like, slasher films in the elevator with me when I'm going to my office. It was the weirdest thing in the world. We had to pray every demon out of that building, you know, when we bought it. Man, it took us 28 years. And I remember when we, when we got that building, we got hate mail and everything. People saying you're irresponsible, you're reckless. How You don't have money to buy a building like that. Tommy Barnett, crazy old man, and his young uh, teenage boy, you know, are, are, are trying to do something crazy. You know, and I'd, read, I'd be reading the hate mail, and I wasn't even mad at the haters. I was actually agreeing with them. I'm like, you are absolutely right. What in the world are we doing? But I was still more intrigued by what was in the future than I was. Any obstacle that would stop you, you've got to keep your hopes alive. You've got to outlast this generation of doubt. You've got to outlast this generation. You've just got to say, God, I'm going to put my feet into faith. I'm not going to run. I'm going to, be a, I'm going to have a different spirit. I'm going to believe that we are the ones that can possess the land. There's a, there's a battle for, for your heart to be drawn into discouragement and frustration, but you just got to find joy in the little days. You've got to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because this is a decision you make every single day because God is not done with you when you're in rock bottom. If your vision goes to rock bottom, let me tell you something. Media, culture, world, they destroy people in rock bottom. They like it. But God doesn't destroy anybody in rock bottom. He recreates people in rock bottom. It's never too late for God to do a miracle. It's never too late for God to save a prisoner who's yelling at the other prisoner on the cross who's saying, if you're really the son of God, save yourself. And this guy's yelling at him. This criminal's like, hey, man, this guy's the real deal. It's a crazy scenario on the cross, right? And then while he's at it, he, he hey, Jesus, hey, you get me to heaven? You know, I don't know. But anyways, but uh, I don't think it was a hustle. I think it was serious, you know. But uh, Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Like he's just, he rewarded that last act of faith. You don't have to be perfect your whole life. Uh, the years of the past don't have to be perfect. You have now. You have this moment. You can act in faith. You have a chance right now to simply say, I'm going to stand in purpose. I'm going to stand in what God has called me to do. I'm going to show up and be faithful. I'm going to find joy in the ordinary days of life. I was just as happy in the old dirt lot days than I was when we are in that hospital because serving is not a destination. When you get somewhere is not when you're going to be happy. It's building over the last 20 years that your church has done, and you just served along the way. You found joy along the way. Little victories are big victories when your heart is in it. And you outlast the hard times, and you stand, and, and you, you persevere like this church has done during this time. You have served out of your burden. I'm walking around. The youth pastor has been 19 years in his church. Do you know how rare that is? That's, that's like... To me, that's probably one of the greatest miracles I've ever seen in my entire life. Youth pastors, unless they don't believe it, I mean, a vision has to be so enticing for a youth pastor to say for 19 years anywhere, right? And I was just so moved by the commitment level and the heartbeat.
Why? Because you've outlasted tough times. You've stayed. You haven't run. You, you've earned the right to be heard by serving. You've earned the right to keep going in the middle of tough times because you've laid the foundation. And I want to tell you, there's some times in your life that all you can do is to show up. And the ministry of showing up is one of the most underrated things in the world. The ministry of showing up is powerful. That's a superpower of the kingdom of God, the ministry of showing up. And just kept showing up in that old building, 28 years. You bought that building. We were in it. And I remember when we turned on the first pipe, it busted, and we had a flood. My dad and I went over to the corner. We cried. We emptied all of our bank accounts. Every one of three times we've emptied everything we had to pay salaries to keep the ministry going. I mean, to, to take the flood out of the building. I mean, it has been a wild 28 years of pastoring since I was 28 years of age. And there's times where I'm like, yeah, I can't make it another day. He goes, well, if you do, if you get to the next day, um, you might find God has something in it for you if you just hang around long enough. He always used to say, if you hang around long enough, son, something good will happen to you. And uh, there's times I've wanted to quit. There's times I got in the freeway, and I was done. I want to go back to Arizona. I was tired of L.A., man. It just wears you down sometimes, you know. And I wanted to quit, and I was driving down the, the 10 freeway back to Phoenix, and I saw the one Dairy Queen that I always stop at every time I go to Phoenix. Because there's very few of them in L.A. So I saw the Dairy Queen, and twice I was on the crossroads of quitting. And I saw that Dairy Queen sign. I pulled over to the side, and I prayed. I said, God, I go, I want to quit the ministry. I'm eating that Dairy Queen blizzard. And the Lord says, go back home. Go back. Just give me one more day. Just give me one more day. God has used Dairy Queen twice to save the ministry at the Dream Center. <laughs> what is the secret of the Dream Center? The Lord using Dairy Queen. I mean, I might lose a couple years of my life, but he still saved the ministry while it lasted. Amen. I think about all those times, man, you just, here's a powerful thing about trusting God for one more day when you don't have it. You just keep showing up and you just keep trusting him and you just keep saying, we are, we are not of those that we read in the word that shrink back. That's not who we are. God hasn't called us to be that. He said it. You are not. He didn't, he didn't ask you. He just declared it. You, we are not those who do shrink back. We are those who persevere. And, and, and so what happens in the middle of those times, you know, we, we walk these ordinary days. And one day we're clipping off coupons of miracles of something that we passed 12 years ago that seemed simple to us. But God noted it. He's up in heaven saying, I'm blessing you now for something you did 12 years ago when you didn't quit. I'm blessing you now with a relationship um, with your child because you didn't abandon a relationship when they did something wrong. You're reaping the reward later. I mean, you're reaping the rewards of something in your life. That's why you have got to stand during tough times because you will be rewarded on the other side. You just don't know when, but it's going to happen. God takes note of everything. We're in that building just, just slugging away, and I said, Dad, we finished our first room. On to the next. He said, no, not on to the next. We need to celebrate that. And I'm talking to the phone. He says, son, are you celebrating it? I go, yeah, I guess I'm celebrating. We finished one room. Yeah, you know, I'm like, oh. he goes, are you really celebrating? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm celebrating. He goes, you're not celebrating. My dad gets mad at me for not celebrating. He goes, celebrate. I'm like, what do I do? Do I break dance? I mean, what do I, I don't know what, hey, what that means, right? You know? And, but he's understanding that you got to enjoy where you're at on the way to where you're going. Don't want to be somewhere so much where you can't enjoy the season that you were in. Because if you can't enjoy where you're at and the way to where you're going, you'll never enjoy getting to the place where you always wanted to arrive. Enjoy it on the way. Enjoy faithfulness, ordinary days. And now, you know, God's given us that building. 650 people living in our building every single day. 
um, 241 people in drug and alcohol rehab, free of charge, one year. Cost $81,000 a year to incarcerate someone. Cost $6,000 a year to rehabilitate someone. And every day, the judge is now at the Dream Center. And every day, the, the judges, I have spent more time in court recently. It's the craziest thing in the world. And uh, he goes, are you, a dream, are you a Dream Center guy? Yeah, and he's okay. Well, I sentenced you to one year to the Dream Center instead of five years in prison or 10 years in prison. And then these guys come in the program, and they don't have to be tough and hard. You know, when they, you know the cool thing is to be a nerd when you come to our rehab program. You know, you go to prison, you got to be kind of swelled up, you know, ready to go. Our place, it's like, no, no, like the peer pressure is you got to love God and just kind of be a little bit sappy and love, but, you know, hug each other. Amen? They just get swept up in the peer pressure of, like, God and dreams and possibilities and vision and what God can do with one more day at a time and, and what happens. And the cool thing is to serve God. And so they can't come in there and control the environment because the environment's all about, hey, man, you can do it. You can do it. And they just get caught up in there. And we ask them, every hurting person who comes into our program, one question, that is, what is your dream? And it freaks them out. It freaks out the person addicted to fentanyl that somebody's asking them, what is your dream? Because their dream is just to stay alive for one more day. Why do we ask those questions? What is your dream? Because the Bible says that where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. Which means they have no self-control if there's nothing to live for. So why do we give somebody with a fentanyl addiction who's trying to make it one more day, uh, who's, who's strung out under the bridge, who rolled up in our building, why do we tell them what is your dream? Because there's something powerful about a God-given dream. That takes you. It's not important that you always reach your dream immediately. The most important thing is having a dream. And they, this is my dream. We're going to help you get there. And we, we have learned one thing about rehabilitation. That is this. When someone comes in the program, the first thing you need to do is shine the brightest light of hope that you can on somebody who's made the biggest mistakes. So they can see the possibilities of what are yet to come. And I'm here today, this crazy guy from L.A. up here telling weird stories to tell you that there's a big spotlight of hope on your life. Everything is on the table. Your life is not over. You're not written off. God has you exactly where he wants you. And that is that broken, vulnerable person that might have lost many things in life. But you have one direction to look, and that is up. There are some advantages to hitting rock bottom. Because when you're at rock bottom, there's only one place you can go. And that is up. Amen. It's not over. Get back up again. A just man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. He's not just because he's perfect. He's just because he just won't stay down. Amen. Every day I would drive down the Hollywood freeway. There's a, off the, down the 101 bridge, and there's a homeless man been living there every day. I mean, he would not move. I mean, his favorite scripture was, I shall not be moved. Because this guy would not move. He was like a fixture. He was living under the bridge. He was there for so long. People taking selfies with him, everything. It's like, this guy's been homeless. He's never left his place, you know. And I tried everything. I'd, get, hey, I'd pull over the freeway, and I would talk to him and say, hey, hey, come over here and talk for a second. No, no, I don't want to talk. I'll give you 10 bucks if you talk to me for like five minutes. I mean, hey, why not? You know, who knows? And uh, no, no, he didn't want me. He just would not want to engage. And one day, we had a youth group in town, and there's like this girl from, oh, I think she's from Oklahoma, on a missions trip. And she said, Pastor, I'm going to go find that guy. I'm going to bring them to the dream. So I heard he's been living there homeless for 18 years. This is a teenage girl telling me this, right? But my dad always taught me that when somebody tells you something that you don't believe that they can do, you never say that because you never know what's in their heart. So you just, but if you don't believe in the natural, you just look them in the eye and do the spiritual thing and say, well, brothers and sisters, praise the Lord. And she said, I'm going to find that guy, and I'm going to bring him to the dream center. I'm like, well, praise the Lord. And uh, she went under the bridge and literally 
grabbed him by the hand, said, sir, you're coming to the dream center. We, have, we do 1,500 hot meals every day. 1,500. You're coming to the dream center. He said, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. She grabbed him by the hand and literally dragged him to the food line. I guess they go gangster in Oklahoma in a different way too, you know, and and I said, I looked at him, I said, this is unbelievable. And um, I go, how did you do it? She said, well, my, my youth pastor is doing a series on, on uh, bring, bringing people into the house of the Lord. And she said, the word compel in the Greek means to physically force them into the house of the Lord. <laughs> is it like rodeo version? I mean, what is that? I've never heard that before, right? And uh, I praise the Lord, it worked though, amen. I'm like, good job. And um, he come by every day, get his free food. He didn't want Bible study. He didn't want anyone to pray for him. People offered prayer in the food. No, I don't prayer. He didn't want, all he wanted was free food. Took it under the bridge. And, and then I got real spiritual. Like, when you get super spiritual, that's when you get weird. And I got super spiritual, you know. And I start saying things like, well, God, he's just using us for free food. We're not being good stewards of our resources. Because all he wants to do is not to be prayed over. He just wants free food. And he's just using us. And then God spoke to me. And he said, let him keep using you for all the free food that he wants. Because if you want to be a bridge of hope, you've got to allow yourself to be walked on. Let him use you. And every day he did. But one day, he was in line. He said, Pastor, um, some of my friends have really changed in a rehab program. He's an older gentleman, this guy, too. I, and he said, um, he said, I think I want to go into your rehab program. And I looked at him and I said, well, brother, praise the Lord. Amen. Like our rehab program is not like the ones in Beverly Hills where they give you massages and whirlpools and manicures and pedicures. That's not our rehab program. It's beans and rice and Jesus Christ. That's what it is, right? There's no whirlpools, man. And uh, praise the Lord. There's like a million steps, you know, in the building. It's like, again, so old hospital. And uh, this guy came to the program, you know, got through detox and they got through 90 days and 180. I'm like, maybe this guy might have a chance. And he's like two-thirds of the way, and finally he graduates. He graduates, goes to Bible school, graduates Bible school, comes back, and now he's staff. You'll see him when you come out here, but homeless Barry is now Pastor Barry. He's a licensed minister, and he preaches like 18 times a week to all the under-the-bridge services. And he reminds me that he preaches to more people than I do every single week, you know. We'll work on his humility later. He's a work in progress, but, but I see him. As a man who gave up, as a, one of the most faithful, enduring, showing up every day, manning his post. I'm telling you, it is not over yet. It is not over. God has something in store for you. Give him your broken pieces and rock bottom. Just keep surviving those, those broken arrows of your life. You're going to get through the, the major things that you're dealing with. God is going to take you through those things just one day at a time. You watch the walls. They'll begin to, to fall down. That's why Goliath, the Bible says, every morning and evening, he would taunt the people of Israel. He would show up in the morning to remind them right when they woke up that there was no hope. And then he would roll his, his giant body out in the evening, do his same old ho-hum speech, and oh, here I am. And he would go back into his bed, get up in the morning and do the same thing, and come in the night and intimidate everyone. That's what he did. That's what the devil does. He tries to get you in the morning and the evenings every single day just to remind you that there's no way you can get back up. There's too many giants in your life, but don't listen. Outlasted God. There's there's time. There's something amazing about how God uses time and faithfulness and consistency to, to gradually just begin to knock down, sometimes instantly, but to see the layers of life in this vision begin to unfold through the shadows and the darkness of the pain and the struggles that we've all been through. Just outlast it. 
just keep going. I've been, so 28 years I've been in the city of L.A., and during the pandemic, everybody thought we were done. They were like, um, we, we didn't have, like, every business in our neighborhood, I think 40% immediately of restaurants were shut down, everything. And uh, so the third day into the pandemic, um, we thought the Dream Center was over, to be honest with you, because we, didn't, we had, like, enough money for, like, two or three weeks in reserve and uh, everything shut down. The whole world's attention turned to other directions rather than giving all of that. And um, I looked at our team and I said, man, this is tough. I don't know if we can, this is the biggest test of our life. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, sometimes God will meet you at your, at your point of rationale, even though it's not like right. But he'll like meet you there and then take you somewhere new. And God spoke to me. He met me in my rationale. He said, look, if what you think is true, that you're not going to make it two more weeks, you might as well go out serving. You might as well go out just doing what you love and helping people. If you feel like you only have two weeks left, might as well go out and serve. God was kind of meeting me at that level. So I told, I told our team, I said, you know what? We got enough food for two days in our food bank. Let's just, this is three days into the pandemic. Nobody was on the road. Nobody. I go, but people are going to be hungry, man. I know it. We're, we got we to do something. And so we just showed up and we started the food line, the drive through line. that ended up serving 5 million people during the pandemic. 5 million, 11 hours a day, 380 days in a row. In a row, 11 hours a day. And um, as people are driving by, and uh, God just said, just, just show up. Just show up. I want to show you the greatest miracle I've ever seen. And, uh, and then Justin Turner, the Dodgers, he, uh, he heard what we were doing. He started promoting, and he said, hey, he goes, I, I'm, I'm going to hire all the businesses. I'm going to buy all their food and put them on your food line. We're going to save businesses, small businesses. And he gave like $800,000. He bought a food from restaurants to put right there on our drive through line. And I began to realize, I'm like, you know what? And, and no one fought us. Nobody, like, we're shocked because, because we just kind of smiled and acted dumb. <laughs> Only essential workers were like, that's right, essential workers. And I go, are we essential? And the guy goes, my, my business manager goes, well, we, we have given $1.5 billion of economic aid with free housing for the homeless all these years. So I'm like, yeah, we're essential. Yeah, we're essential. Come on. And uh, people started coming by, getting food and getting blessed and getting loved on. And it turned out to be pure pandemonium. And God began to save the ministry, doing miracles and things. And people stepping up and out of the blue, people I didn't know and kept us going. I'm telling you, sometimes you can't always see a year down the road. And God doesn't always need you to see a year down the road. Sometimes life gets so tough, you can't see a week down the road. There's times where he just says, give me 24 more hours. Because morning by morning, new mercies he gives us every single day. You don't know what God has for you tomorrow if you hang in there today. And sometimes it's a miracle. Sometimes it's a breakthrough. Sometimes it's just enough courage to make it another day. But God is going to meet you. And you are going to outlast everything. Speak a different language of possibility in tough times. Outlast the need in our, in our day to say that the best of life is over. And, and even my kids you know, go through hard times. I, I try to tell them all the time, aren't you living in the greatest era? Because God's raised you up because he trusted you in this era, in this toughest era of all time. He raised you up for this generation because obviously he believes that you're the best generation ever. Just speaking life in the middle of, of so much torment in our world. Outlast your greatest failure. Outlast your greatest pain. Outlast your greatest sin. Outlast your greatest regret. Outlast your struggles in your marriage. Outlast the battles that you're going through. Just keep standing. Just keep showing up. Just keep doing what God's called you to do. Loving the, the transition phases and the ordinary phases and finding joy in days where maybe the ministry is not doing miraculous things. Maybe it's just getting up and helping somebody a dollar fifty short 
who at the checkout stand, just living life as a servant, living your life with a head on a swivel, looking for a way to be a blessing, living like a need hunter, finding a need and filling it, and finding a hurt and healing it. I close with this. First day I came to L.A., I was, um, I was terrified because, I, I mean, I was just kind of showing up. Remember, like, three months type thing, and, and when I got there, I didn't know what to do, man. I was just, I was, I was so terrified. I went to my first church service on a Wednesday night, and there was a young man that was killed right in the front steps of our church building in a drive-by shooting. I, that was my first Wednesday night service. I had to literally walk around the ambulance to get to um, my church service of just uh, a small group of people greeting the pastor who had stayed in the middle of that tough time, about like eight people really in the small group type of thing. And I said, look, I'm supposed to give you a little message. I'm the new pastor, but I can't preach. I can't do it right now. I think we just need to go minister to the family that's been killed next door, and um, let's just take an offering and just make our church service going across the street. They said, Pastor, or young man, because I was only 20, you don't understand. Um, the gang members, they stick to themselves, and we stick to ourselves. I said, I know, but let's just go over there, and let's just see what might happen. And I said, who will go with me? And I didn't get one volunteer. <laughs> so you do what you do in churches when you can't get a volunteer. My dad always says, when all else fails, receive an offering. No. And uh, so I received an offering, and they gave me $32. I went across the street to an apartment attached to a liquor store. I knocked on the door, and all of a sudden the door flung open, and I was staring in the face of this big gang member. He looked down at me, and... I looked up at him, and then I looked up at God and said, God, I've always heard there's a place called heaven. Save me a place. I'm coming home real soon. I mean, he has so many tattoos that the, left, the Old Testament over here could have popped out. And the New Testament over here, he's like, so what do you want? I said, I'm just a new pastor, and I got an offering for the mother. We want to help you with the funeral. I just want to pray for the family. He's like, well, make it quick. And he called me Padre. Padre? He says, you correct him? Nope. When you're that big, you can call me Padre, Rabbi, Bishop. Ray, Ray J, whatever you want to call me, just don't kill me, you know. And, and I just walked in, and mother was, was just crying, and I gave her the money, and I'm walking out the door. And I had a sweet little prayer. It was nothing heroic whatsoever. It was just a guy showing up, and it, way over his head, $32, praying for the mother. And I prayed quickly because I wanted to leave as fast as possible. And I gave her the money, and I'm walking out the door quickly. I'm not like David Wilkerson. Remember David Wilkerson, like he used to, and like Nikki Cruz and all those old school guys, they used to say in their stories, if you chop me up, every piece of me will tell you that Jesus loves you. Not me. I'm giving the money. I'm out the door. You know, and, uh, <laughs> and a hand grabbed me around, spun me around. I'm staring in the face of the gang member. He said, uh, Padre, would you, uh, would you do something for us? I said, Brother, I'll do anything you want me to do. <laughs> I'll rub your back. I'll rub your feet. And I'll buy something at the liquor store next door. And he said, we used but we just pray for the family. My mother was touched when you prayed, and I'm like, okay. And we're gathering around the circle, and I'm just like, what is going on? I just got out of Bible college early. I left Bible school, and, and I didn't know what to do. But like in Bible school, I learned a prayer called Prayer of Need and Time of Comfort. It's a memorized Christian autopilot prayer. It's basically a prayer that's so general that will get you out of any situation. And so I'm joining hands with these guys, and I'm praying. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll bless this habitation, whether your glorification to me, your manifestation be here during this presentation. Oh, God, of great sensation. I pray that you'll bless the birds and the trees and the flowers. I'm like rhyming, like, like flowing. I'm like, I've never flowed in my life. It's like Lecrae and Dr. Dre combo. What's going on? I've never flowed, but I'm just trying to get out of there alive. I'm like rhyming. How's this happening? And now my prayer I literally said, I said, if any of you guys want to get saved, uh, pray this prayer after me. 
Just a suggestion. Uh, and I just didn't really throw that out with tons of confidence. And the guy just next to me raised his hand. And the other guy raised his hand. I led him into a prayer. And every single one of those guys prayed their prayer. And they gave their life to Christ. And guys started volunteering in the church from that moment. And God turned many of those guys' lives around as we helped with the funeral. And we began to take care of their family and build things in the neighborhood for them. And lives were changed. And I go across the street to that liquor store. One of the brothers owned the liquor store. And I walk in. He'd be like, hola, padre. I say, hola. He said, he goes, you're the padre of this neighborhood. I said, I am. I'm the pastor. Big difference. We can get married. He said, no, no, you're the padre. And uh, I said, no, I'm the pastor. He goes, you're the padre. And the padre gets all the free food and drinks that he wants. He says, you, I said, you say free food, free drinks? He said, yes, I did. I said, bless you, my son. Name the father's son. <laughs> don't let free food get in the way. Don't let titles get in the way of free food. Jeremiah 94, 16, West Coast version. <laughs> and nothing makes sense. The vision doesn't make sense. What I'm doing was everything I never thought I'd be doing with my life. Nothing looks like it. Nothing takes form. But sometimes all you have left is a bunch of broken pieces that you give God. You simply say, God, just recreate me. If nobody's going to come to my church, I'm going to do a prayer walk, and you just show me. And your life is about to be recreated. If you simply say, God, I have something to give you. I have broken pieces. I have a broken dream. Um, Maybe not the greatest moral epic failures of your life, but you have, you have frustrations along the way and, and businesses that have failed and things you've gone through. Give God brokenness. I promise you one thing. God does more with brokenness than he ever has with half of your heart in the cause and half of it out. Let God recreate you from the broken heart. The greatest dreams that you'll ever dream are the dreams that you never know that are inside of you that only come through serving through your burden, loving through your pain, and making a difference in the middle of the process of what you're going through. You're about to get back up again, but you've got to outlast every force that would try to bring you back. You keep showing up, you keep trust God, and you keep persevering. The great, greatest thing about the Bible is every single warrior of the faith had a time in their life where they wanted to quit. Dark depression entered their soul. But they found a way to the other side. Jeremiah retired. He said, I'm done. Went up to the, 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 up to the hills, and he said, I'm done. But like Nacho Libre, who retired as well, he thought he was far away, but the orphanage was just right there. You had to see the movie to understand that point. It's never over. You just keep standing and trusting and believing and outlasting a generation that will tell you why even bother. No, keep trusting. God's about to do his best work in your life. Every head bowed. Yeah, come on, give the Lord praise. Come on, let's thank the Lord. You're here today. Say, Pastor, I'm away from God. I'm not living for God. I'll be done. Turn back, Pastor, in two minutes. But I'm not living for God. And I, I want to know Christ as my Lord and Savior today. I'm just tired of running and trying to outlast the adversities of my life through just common perseverance and maybe even good intentions. The, the problem is with willpower is it always runs out. It's not supercharged by anything. It's willpower will only take you so far. But God's power in you will, will, will ignite you and allow you to believe for things you never believed. It will give you the power to persevere even when you do fail. But today, 
You'll say, Pastor, I'm here, and I, I'm just in a place in my life where I'm broken, and I want to trust God. I want to give my pain. I want to give my broken pieces today. I'm, I, I have nothing to give God. The world's like, oh, man, look at that person trying to give me the leftovers. We see it in Hollywood all the time. God's up in heaven saying, look at that person give me the leftovers. That's, all, that's what I've always wanted. That's what I can do. I can change their lives and transform them. I like people in rock bottom because I can change their heart, their affections, and allow them to embrace what they were born to do in the first place. The only brokenness could bring out. When I say three, I want you to raise your hands. If you want to be saved and born again, and you want to trade in the ashes for the beauty of knowing Jesus. Are you ready? All over this room. One, two, three. Lift them up. They're going up just all over this room. Yes, 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 yes. Over here. Yes, yes. Just keep raising them. Yes. Hands are going up. Yes. Keep lifting them all over this room. Praise God. Ten more seconds. Is there anybody else? Is there, is there a final second miracle? Is there the last person? Yeah, I see that one. Yes. You're that person. Amen. Over here, yes. Keep raising him. I want everyone together to repeat this prayer after me, and I'll turn it back to Pastor. But everyone, just repeat these words loud and strong after me. Every one of you, um, just trust God here today. Repeat these words. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, that I will be saved. I repent of my sin, of trying to make it on my own, I fully surrender to your throne. And I believe your word that says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I am saved today because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. I love you so much. You're the best church to preach to in the whole world. I love you. I love your heart. God bless you. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.